My assignment tonight, or where the Lord has led me for this hour, is to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 15. The book of Matthew, chapter 15. And I'm not sure where everyone's watching from online, but here in Connecticut, it is freezing cold outside, all right? I've been here now for four years from Texas, and I would have thought that I would be used to the cold by now, but I am still freezing when I go outside, all right? I don't know if there's any witness out there, anybody else, like you're still getting used to the cold, maybe from down south, all right, I'm still getting used to it. But I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and I want to begin at verse 21. Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 21. As you are still turning or getting ready, we are still in our series, uh, Bounce, How to Bounce Back from a Difficult or Bad Year. And I believe this word will encourage you tonight. I'm asking the Lord for help. Verse 21, and it reads... Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Are there any parents in the room who are standing in the gap for a child who is lost? A child who needs to be redeemed, who needs to come back, that prodigal son, that prodigal daughter. Stay with me. But he answered her, not a word. Mm. Just meditate on that for a second. He answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Every time I read this passage of scripture, I can't help but think to myself, if God had a weakness, it would be for worship. When you worship the Lord, it does something. It changes something. It shifts something in the atmosphere when you worship the Lord. If he had, I know he has no weaknesses and he is complete within himself, lacking nothing. But when you make a decision to worship the Lord, he will move on your behalf. Watch this. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed that very hour. Come on, somebody. Jesus was not even in her presence. But the word from the Lord was sufficient enough to send forth the healing. He didn't need to go there. 
He didn't need to be in her presence. All he had to do was release a word. And that word will never come back to him void. Is there a word that God has spoken over your life? Is there a word that God has spoken over your future? Is there a word that God has spoken over your children and the future generations to follow? Can I tell you tonight, and I feel like I came to encourage somebody, God has the last say and his word will not return unto him void. No matter what happens on this earth, no matter what happens with your job, no matter what happens in this life, no matter what's going on in the economy with this virus, I am determined to worship the Lord and to place my faith and my trust in God alone and no one else because he is my anchor and he is my satisfaction. It's in him. I want to speak to you tonight from the subject matter, great faith, great faith. I was talking to Pastor Frank as I was preparing this sermon and I was kind of going over some of my notes. And uh, he said, you should name the sermon from a dog to a disciple. And so I'm going to put as a subtitle (laughs) from a dog to a disciple. And you'll understand what I mean as we dive into this text. But let's have fun in the Lord. Amen. Let me pray and we'll get ready to dive into this. Father, we love you. We thank you for everyone that is here, everyone that is tuning in online. I pray that you would remove all distractions. I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to each person as they have need. And I pray that you would use me as your servant. I confess before all these people, God, that I cannot do this without you. But yet you've called me to this. And I pray that I would minister with the conviction that you've given me. And that your power would be released in this place to minister healing, not only in the body, but in the mind. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing in the presence of the Lord. You know, as I look over this passage, I can't help but think over my life and also the opportunities that I've had to minister and just being in ministry in general. In life, we discover a lot about a person by looking at their background. We discover a lot about a person by looking at their upbringing, where they came from, where they grew up. From the way a person speaks, even to how they view the world, in many cases is a direct result of their environment and their upbringing. But what's powerful to me as I've asked the Lord for wisdom and as I've sat under powerful men and women of God, one revelation that I've come to is even though we may not agree or condone somebody's behavior, we should always make it a point to understand why they did it. Even though we may not condone it, even though it may be something that is detestable in our sight, We have to take the time to understand why. Why did they do this? Not that we're letting them off the hook. Not that we're uh, uh, um, trying to discredit God's holiness. But the truth of the matter is, as I've worked with people, and particularly young people, I have come to understand the why is just as much 
as important as to them actually doing a specific act. Are you guys with me tonight? Some of the questions that come up in my mind as I've worked with people is what triggers initiated this act? These and more, like another one, spring up, what was the root cause? What would possess a person to do such a thing? Whether it be good, whether it be bad, it is so important to look at their profile. And I've come to realize as I look at a family generationally, it can help me to understand the deliverance that is necessary with the current generation. See, you have to understand, even if you are not a Christian in this room, that there are certain behaviors and traits and bents that are passed down generationally. But even though they were passed down generationally, a generational blessing can be erected within a family when that individual chooses to repent and place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. How many of you believe that tonight? Some of you are living witnesses of the fact that God changed the trajectory of your family as a result of your commitment to the Lord. And you are here only by God's grace. Such is the case with this Gentile woman. And I say Gentile because as you read this scripture, especially if this is your first time reading this, you're probably thinking to yourself, how in the world could Jesus ignore this woman? How could he ignore her even though she called upon him? What was his purpose? What was his reason? And you have to take into account that Jesus knows all things. He knows all things. He knows why this woman was coming to him. And this was an opportunity for him to test her faith. See, when you first give your life to Christ... It's amazing how God will spoil you. You go to the Bible and it seems like the words on the page of the Bible just leap. You find it easier to pray. You find it easier to go to church in some instances. But then there comes your first trial. And in that first trial, the genuineness of your faith is tested. For some of you who recently gave your life to Christ, maybe last year, maybe the trial that entered into your life was COVID-19 itself. How will you respond? Will you walk in fear even though God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind? Will you begin to read his word and understand to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord? Therefore, I am not afraid of death because death no longer has a hold on me anymore. Because I've been seated with him in heavenly places. He is mine and I am his. But this woman... She was a Gentile, meaning she was not a Jew. And see, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he was first sent to minister to the children of Israel. And I don't have time to go into all of the intricate details as to why he was sent to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. But I would challenge you on your own time to read the book of Romans chapter 10 and chapter 11 and also read the book of Acts because even though God was sent to the Israelites 
through their rejection, the Gentiles, we, those who were non-Jews, were engrafted in. But God has a plan for the Jews. And his purpose was always to bring us into one body through faith. So don't think in your arrogance that you stand all by yourself. If it wasn't for their rejection, we would have never been engrafted in. But it was through their rejection that we have a place. But they are the root as Romans chapter 10 and 11 tells us. Go back and read that when you have a moment. It'll shed some light. This Gentile woman and her great faith, as Jesus describes it, this is the only occurrence in Matthew's gospel where the words are said great faith. But there's another one. And this is found in Matthew chapter 8 verse 10 where a Roman centurion is asking Jesus to heal his servant. In both cases, these two individuals are Gentiles. Non-Jews. And this is very important as we look over this text, as we dive into this, not only was the centurion man a Gentile, which you can read about that later, but also this woman was a Gentile, but God has a plan for all of us. The Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for the whole world, that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance by placing their faith and trust in him. You guys with me tonight? I'm going somewhere. But I had to ask myself, for the woman, how did her experiences lead her to this point? How was her desperation created? You know, some of you may notice, and I'm just going to mention this. There's a woman here in our church, for those of you that are watching online. Her name is Christina, who dances uh, in such a manner here in the front that you can't ignore it. Come on, somebody. But if you knew what this girl has gone through, if you knew what she has faced in her life, if you knew what hardships she's had to endure, and I would challenge you to ask her to share her testimony with you, you would be worshiping and praising God probably the same way. And that's one thing I've come to find out. Those who praise and worship God the most have been delivered from mighty things in their lives. You don't have to force me to praise God. You don't have to force me to worship him or bow down to him. Even when I don't feel like praising God because of what may be going on in my body or maybe I'm tired, I still feel the need to lift his name up because he deserves all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. Even those of you watching online, you can get up out of that couch and just begin to thank the Lord and praise him. Put the Ritz crackers down and holler at Jesus, all right? Come on. But what influences shaped her persistence? And what influences potentially led her daughter to become demon-possessed? I get a sense in this room that there are parents and maybe parents watching that feel guilty over the behavior that your children are exhibiting. I want you to understand that you have a witness in this woman. I have no doubts that she thought to herself, was this because of me that my daughter is going through this? Was it because of some of the decisions that I made? Was it because of where we decided to move or some of the other religions that we decided to bring into the house? Some of the other teachings that were contrary to the word of God? 
I get a sense that some of you in this room may feel guilty. But can I tell you something? As long as that individual is still breathing, it's not too late. As long as there is still breath in their lungs, the almighty God could bring anybody into their pathway to minister the gospel to them. Because if he can speak through a donkey, he can speak through anyone, even if they don't even know the Lord. They can speak to your child. Because the, my Bible tells me the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. And we are not righteous because of what we've done, but we're righteous because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Don't give up on that child. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on hope because God will fulfill what he has promised. Let's examine her life, though. And let's see through her life how we too can bounce back from a bad year. The first point that I want to make as we tear apart this text is this. Great faith emerges when our faith in other things disappoints. Let me say that again. Great faith emerges when our faith in other things disappoints. You know, as I've prayed with families, particularly for their children, particularly for their marriages or for situations that they've come up, come up against. One of my prayers is God, that you would take the taste of the world out of their mouth, the taste of drugs out of their mouth, Lord, that it would become so loathful to them that they would not desire it anymore. God, I pray in the name of Jesus. And I speak this Lord, that you would bring that wayward child home that doesn't know you. That everything that they're chasing, everything that they're involved with, Lord, that it would come to ruins and that they would cry out to you. That's my prayer for this generation. Anybody else believe that God can do it? He's faithful. He's faithful. First, we must look at the location of where this woman was born. This will shed some light on how she got to this place. Because this didn't just happen overnight, this decision to search after Jesus and to show such persistence and determination. This didn't just happen overnight. I believe that there are some saints in here that understands what it means to press through. Understand what it means when all other resources have been exhausted and you were at your wits end, even though he is your last resort, it just so happened that he has become the only resort and you start running to him. And this is not by mistake because God knows us better than we know ourselves. Even though he wasn't the cause of the situation that came in our life, he knows what it takes to draw us to himself. That loss of job you may have saw as a setback, but maybe it was an opportunity for you to be closer to your family. Even that negative, di that negative diagnosis that came in your life, maybe this was an opportunity for you to trust the Lord even further and to enter into a place of worship which you have never known before. The Bible says that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called. According to his purpose. That's why we say with Jesus you are. You guys know it. But the district of Tyre and Sidon was the Gentile territory. And just follow me. Of ancient Phoenicia. An area now in southern Lebanon on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's interesting to note. As Jesus escaped to this region. He was actually looking to have some rest with his disciples. 
And what's powerful to me as I read this passage of scripture, centuries earlier, the Bible tells us that Elijah was also in need of rest and actually went to the same region and found a woman at Zarephath right there in that land. And some of you might remember the story, how she was about to die because she had no food, no means of being able to provide for her child. And Elijah was going there to rest, but he was also going there to perform a miracle. And the same is true of Jesus. If we want to be Christ-like, even when we're resting, we should still not ignore opportunities to minister. We should not ignore opportunities to share the love of Christ, even when we are, quote-unquote, resting or in non-ministry mode. Is there such a thing as a child of God? And I get it. There are times of rest. There are times of vacation. But I'm not going to stop being a child of God. I'm not going to stop looking for opportunities to minister, though it should start with my family first. This Canaanite woman had been raised in a pagan culture that had been renowned for its wickedness and its vileness. She was literally a descendant of the very people, the very people that God commanded the Israelites to not only conquer, but destroy, which was the Canaanites in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 2. Needless to say, her pagan religious systems had repeatedly failed her. And now they had little influence on her living. The text doesn't shed light on how her daughter became demon-possessed, but we can assume, based on the knowledge of the land and the religious practices that they were engaged in, it left an open door for the enemy to come inside. Now can you understand why this woman felt guilty for what had happened to her daughter? It's interesting to me that the Bible makes no mention about the father. It could be possible that the father passed away, which during that time was catastrophic for a woman because this was her livelihood. And women during that time were not regarded or respected as much as they are here today. During that time, it was very difficult for a woman to make it without the support of her husband. And in many cases, she resorted to prostitution just to make ends meet. Can you understand? Can you get the picture of what this woman was going through? And this is a word for somebody here because what do you do when you reach the top of the corporate ladder but you're still empty? What do you do when you have all the money that you were dreaming of? You have the car, you have the house, you have the white picket fence, you have the woman, you have the wife, you have the husband, you have all these things. And yet there's still an emptiness on the inside of you because your husband or wife can't complete you. Only God does that. And even though I love my wife with all of my heart, if I look to her to complete me, and this is a word for somebody, I'm going to be putting expectations on her that she wasn't meant to fulfill. But if I keep her in a proper perspective and I love her with the love that God has bestowed upon me, both of us then become a picture of Christ in his relationship with the church. But she is not the one that completes me. I am complete in him. 
That was a word for somebody. It's a little nugget there. He's the one that completes us. Man, this is powerful. Just imagine as a parent, did this woman blame herself for what happened to her daughter? Some of you in this room, depending on your spiritual upbringing, maybe you've never seen somebody that's been demon-possessed. But I'm here to tell you, it is a sight to see. And it's a scary sight to see at that. And it's not something we should take lightly. I have in my lifetime, but I'm here to tell you, at the name of Jesus, every demon will bow. And that there is no authority on this earth that is greater than God's authority. In the name of Jesus, I command you to go. That is the power and authority that we have as believers. But this is not something that we should just lightly go into. We got to be spirit led and not allow ourselves to be put in a situation out of pride, but out of being spirit led. Did she stay up late wondering what she could have done to change things? She was empty. She was in need. She was open for help. I'm just desperate. Then she hears about Jesus, which brings me to my next point. Great faith is characterized by little light. Great faith is characterized by little light. Watch this. Jesus' encounter with this woman is the story of faith Jesus calls great. This woman's faith was not great because it was stronger or more sincere, or more mature than the faith of many Jews who believed in Christ, but because it was based on so little light. Watch this. Turn with me over to Matthew 14, 22. Matthew 14, 22 through 33. Listen to this. You guys might remember the story when Jesus... Um, was on the water and he and Peter got out of the boat and he started walking on the water. Just in case you haven't read this before, listen to this. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith. Wait a minute. Little faith. The woman possessed great faith. Right here, Peter is exhibiting little faith. 
Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Wait a minute. I'm perplexed here. If I'm just looking at the character of the situation, in my opinion, it seemed like Peter exhibited great faith. Even though he took his eyes off of Jesus, but if from just looking at the character of the situation, the woman coming after Jesus and being persistent and being determined, if I'm just looking at the character, I'm asking myself, why was hers characterized by great faith, but then his was characterized by little faith? How many of you have had this same question or maybe you're thinking the same thing? Think about this. Watch this. In general, in general character, Peter's faith was greater than this woman's faith and surely greater than the faith of the other 11 disciples. Keep in mind, there were 11 disciples that were in the boat as well. Why didn't any one of those jokers get outside the boat? I've even heard it preached. The mere fact that Peter got out of the boat was positive proof that he lacked faith because if he would have stayed in the boat and realized that Jesus was in control over all things, he would have been calm and not afraid when Jesus started walking on the water. But nonetheless, he started walking. He kept his eyes on Jesus. But when he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at his circumstances, he began to fall. Have we taken our eyes off of Jesus in this hour? Have we lost sight of who our provider is. Our job is just a channel. Even if we were to lose our jobs, as I pray that none of you do, and maybe you have and you're furloughed right now, God is your source and he is your provider. No matter what goes on in the stock market, no matter what goes on in the economy, whether you get a stimulus check or you don't get a stimulus check, I always have a stimulus in God because he's always providing for me. And my hope and my trust is in him and not in the government. My hope is in God. Because he is my source and his channel of blessings can come many ways if I just trust him. But the 11 disciples didn't get out. Only Jesus. I mean, only Peter. But his faith was not as strong as it should have been for the situation. What do you mean, Pastor Brandon? Listen to this. Peter was a Jew and therefore had the heritage of God's word. And special blessing. More than that, he had lived nearly two years in intimate fellowship with Jesus. He had seen all the miracles. He heard all of his sermons. He even was there when Jesus slept. Even when uh, he passed gas, like, man, he was there for everything. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, man, but I want y'all to think for me for a minute because Jesus was human. And they were with Jesus all the time. All the time. Nearly two years. Saw all the miracles. Saw all the signs. Not only that, but the Bible says he had saving faith in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And he had left everything to follow the Lord. If you recall, he was a fisherman. And Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And he left all of his nets, left his occupation, and followed Jesus. But why? Was it regarded as little faith? But his great privilege and advantage was no guarantee that under severe testing, his faith might not be reduced to relatively little. 
The point that I'm after is this. He had more revelation than she did. He had more understanding. He was in closer proximity to Jesus than this woman. Keep in mind, her environment wasn't conducive for drawing closer to God. The gods and the idols that she worshipped and that she was surrounded by kept her in many ways from getting to God. But when her daughter became demon-possessed, this was the driving force that caused her to pursue Jesus. Are you guys with me tonight? This Canaanite woman, on the other hand, she had no heritage of God's word. See, this is why we got to be careful when we place judgment on people. There are some of you in this room, maybe you grew up in a Christian home, Christian parents, Christian school, were taught the word of God every day, and that's wonderful. That's something that I strive to do even with my own kids. But don't become critical and judgmental of those who have not. Remember how I said earlier that if you understand somebody's background, you can understand the behavior that they are engaged in. Maybe some of the behaviors that you did as a child in the areas of sin that you engaged in were not as detestable as this person over here, but may I ask how much light was deposited into your life versus this person over here who had no light of godliness, no training, no inspiration, no Bible being taught. When I came here from Texas, which is considered the Bible Belt, and I say this not in a matter of judgment, but it's just a fact. When I came here in Texas, everybody saved. Everybody thinks that they're saved. It's hard to convince people about having an intimate, vibrant relationship with God when they already think that they have it, when they already claim that they have a relationship with God. And I'm not saying this is all of Texas. You guys know where I'm going with this. But when I came here, it was amazing to me. Some of the people that I met initially, and I knew that God called me here for a purpose, and I'm thankful for that purpose, was to share the gospel. Some people had never heard of any of the Bible stories. Had never even picked up a Bible, didn't even know what it was, had never stepped foot in a church, had never been exposed to anything of God. Can you imagine when that person comes to Christ, how powerful they will be in his kingdom? Are you guys with me? She didn't have God's word, she didn't have God's blessings. She didn't learn about his tabernacle or his temple or about the priest or about sacrifices like many of these Jews had. Even in the discourse that Jesus had before this scripture that we read, he's literally talking to religious leaders about the fact that his disciples did not wash their hands before they ate a meal. And he literally had to have a conversation with these religious leaders about the fact that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. He had this discourse, and this wasn't the only time. Time and time again, he had many conversations with these religious leaders. But the thing is, they felt that they had a right to the things of God. That they were part of Abraham's lineage. That Jesus came back to conquer and to puff them up. 
But Jesus did the exact opposite. He came in the form of a servant. Therefore, because she believed so much relative to little revelation, Jesus called her faith great. After all we've been through in 2020, people of God, and throughout our life in Christ, it's time to bounce back with more faith and determination than ever before. This virus and the circumstances we find ourselves in today will not have the final say in Jesus' name. It is time for us to step up and to speak what God has called us to say, to not shrink back from the confidence that we have in God based on the experiences that he's brought us through. When we have been given so much, it is incumbent on us to release that to other people so that they too can experience the great salvation that you have experienced. There is a lost and dying world out there that needs to hear the good news of what Jesus has done in their lives. And if we have the truth on the inside of us, if we are his ambassadors, if greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, then we should speak with confidence and boldness proclaiming God is alive and he has a plan for your life. Just like this woman, come on, give it up for the Lord and the Lord in this place. Just like this woman who had little revelation, did not have the covenants, did not know about the sacrifices, did not know about the Ten Commandments. With what she heard about Jesus, that was enough to bring her out of her homeland and to seek out Jesus because she knew that he was the answer. And even in her communication with Jesus, you can tell that this woman had a conversion at some point because she calls him Lord. There is no way that you can tell me that this woman did not have a relationship with God or did not place her faith in God. The Bible says when she came to him, he answered her not a word. Some of us, when we pray for five minutes, we're ready to give up. When God doesn't answer the prayer request within a week, we're ready to turn to other resources. This woman said, I'm not going nowhere. I'm planting myself right here. Even if I have to bow down and worship you, I know that you have the answer. I know that I am a dog, that I am a Gentile, and that the bread is for the children. But even the bread that falls from the master's table can be received by the dogs. That was a word of faith. How does she know to speak in that manner? How does she know to use that language to speak back to Jesus on the fly? She was ready and she was positioned to serve her master. Are you ready to serve Jesus with all your heart and do something to glorify him, to do great exploits for him? As I bring this in for a close, my last point is this. Unfortunate circumstances develop great faith. Unfortunate circumstances develop great faith. Come on, give it up for the Lord. I know in this room some of you have lost family members. As many of you know, I too lost my dad in November. Some of you have lost your job. 
Some of you have been put in situations that are so stressful. I've talked to a lot of you. The stress. Some of you have sat by the bedside because of your job. Of people that have passed away. I know we have nurses that are in this room. This has been one of the most difficult years of 2020 that you have ever faced. But do you get a sense that you came out stronger? Do you get a sense that there is the Lord nudging you, pulling you forward? Do you get a sense now when the scripture says in Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure? Do you get a sense that God isn't finished with you yet? Do you get a sense that God is not finished with your family? He's not finished with the situation. He's not finished with what's going on in this world. God will establish his own government and he will establish a kingdom that will have no end. And this kingdom will be ruled by righteousness. This kingdom will be ruled by fairness and justice. Even though we are placing our hope in people, we need to redirect our hope in God because he is the one who is our true king. And he is our true healer. He is our true deliverer. And he is the one that will set us free. Unfortunate circumstances develop great faith. This woman's pursuit and encounter with Jesus was initiated by her unfortunate circumstance. Namely, her daughter being demon-possessed. This is what drove her to Jesus. Even though Jesus was not the one that caused this. Because we know that God is light and in him there is no darkness. We also know by the book of James chapter 1, I believe it's verse 18. It says every good and every perfect gift which comes down from the father of lights. Where there is no variation or shadow of turning. This is the God that we serve. He did not cause her daughter to be demon possessed. Understand this. Our God is good. But nonetheless... He was able to use this situation similar to Joseph when his brothers betrayed him into slavery. Joseph was able to look over his life and say to himself, what the enemy meant for bad, God has turned around for his good. Even though I didn't think I was going to make it, even though I thought I was going to throw in the towel, even though I was at my wits end, I was stressed to the max at the kitchen table, looking at the bills, trying to understand how I'm going to provide, how I'm going to make it through. I experienced a divorce. I experienced adultery. I thought my marriage wasn't going to work. All of these testimonies I've heard, but you are still here. And God is not finished. He is a God of miracles. We know God is good. We know he's faithful. If last year taught us anything, it would be to relish the moments we have with our families and keep our faith in God alone. For all of you watching online, and I ask you guys to stand with me here in person. Everyone here, stand with me. Listen to this passage of scripture. If anything, this was a message of taking responsibility In the movie Spider-Man, it was said, where much is given, much is required. There's a lot on the inside of you, but are you making the most of it? God has has deposited so much revelation in a lot of you in this room. How are you using the light that you have been given, like this woman, 
to go forward. In Hebrews 10.26, listen to what this says. It says, dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. You know what that scripture teaches me? Why would you reject so great a love? Even the Old Testament saints, if only they could have seen and experienced what you now experience, they could only see it from afar. But it is incumbent on us, based on the revelation that we have received, based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, to take full advantage of what Jesus has done. Friends, the Bible says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. If you think you're a good person like I did, go to the Ten Commandments and ask yourself if you've kept all of them. I haven't. And as I looked at James 2.10 that says, even if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of the entire law. The Bible says that God has chosen a day when he's going to come back and judge this earth based off of the standards of his law. And anyone who has not kept that law to perfection will be found guilty before him and will spend eternity separated from him in a place called hell. That's the bad news. But the good news is this. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. The Bible says he came not to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And anyone who places their faith and their trust in him be forgiven. Their sins will be separated as far as the east is to the west. He will cast them into the sea of forgetfulness and you will receive right standing with God just like that when you place your faith in Jesus. You will be justified just as if you had never sinned. So my question to all of you here and all of you watching online, have you surrendered to Jesus? Have you accepted him into your heart? With every eye closed, and especially those watching online as well. Is there somebody out there that would say, Pastor Brandon, I need Jesus. I admit that I am a sinner and I am in need of his grace. I know that he came and he died so that I can be set free. I know that I have heard this message and maybe many other messages as well, and I have not responded, but I know that the clock is ticking and that at any moment I could die and not know where I'm going. I don't want to live like this anymore. I surrender. If that's you, anyone here in this place and watching online, I want you to raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Anyone here? There may be some that are watching online 
If you're making a decision to give your life to Christ, let us know. Send us a message. And I want you to repeat this prayer after me for the sake of those who may watch this. Because we have no idea who's out there watching. Everyone repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and become my Lord and my Savior. I confess that I am a sinner and I am in need of your grace. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again and that all power is in your hands. I receive you now. Take control. My life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Give it up for the Lord in this place.